Hello, and welcome to Self-Sabotaging Sagas, hosted by me, your Elevation Guide, Jenea Barnes. Hello, friends. Hi. Today, we're going to talk about perfection, and I'm here with Perfectionism Reform Pro, Audrey Holst. Audrey, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So excited for this topic. So yeah, I help people reform their perfectionism. Um, I like to think about perfectionism as basically a survival tactic. So when people start to reform their perfectionism, they start to be able to reclaim their agency and reclaim their energy. And who can use a little bit more of both of those things? Absolutely. We all could use some more energy, except I had coffee today, so I don't know if I need more energy. (laughs) I don't usually have coffee, and I love it so much, and I love the jolt, but, and I even take um, theanine to help balance it out when I do have coffee, but I feel a little spazzy today. So I'm going to be the opposite of perfect, which is great for me because I am a recovering perfectionist. Totally. Yeah. Anybody who's watching this and can relate to any of the stuff we're talking about, you are in good company today. Present company included. (laughs) Absolutely. And I want to remind everybody to feel free to leave comments, leave a comment, let us know where you are watching from. Even if you're watching this on the replay, we love to hear about you guys and hear maybe your stories about perfectionism and all of that good stuff. All right, so let's dive in. Now, I really have it that one of the big, big things of that causes perfectionism is a low or lacking self-worth. Tell me what you think about that, Audrey. Yeah, um, I would say my perspective is the is that perfectionism is this survival technique that basically we've we used when we were younger. We had less autonomy and less influence over our resources and um, what we were able to actually do in the world. And perfectionism was one of those things that basically like got us as close to what we needed as possible. And so it basically kind of became like a wiring in our system. And it's something that is so innate in in our systems that we don't really think about it as being anything other than like what's quote unquote normal. So moving through the world, doing our thing. um, And also continuously, I've I've found in my own experience, and, and it seems the same with my clients also, is that perfectionism has this kind of perpetuating uh cycle to it where you get constantly very often positive feedback from it right because if you are a perfectionist or you're, you are doing that in general you're showing up as very detail oriented you're sort of anticipating people's needs you're you know you're really helpful so there's a lot of things that people on the outside might might just love about the way you show up for them but what feels what how it feels on the inside is often a completely different experience you may feel like 
you know, you may feel like resentful that you're sort of giving your energy away or that these people seem like they're just like sucking the life out of you or that you can't, there's like a standard that you're constantly trying to hit that's exhausting. So it's a really interesting thing. And I think, you know, around that self-worth piece, that is a lot of that behavior is trying to like prove your right. There's some sort of like, well, if I do all these things, then somehow, you know, perfectionism equals worthiness, right? Doing the, all the things perfectly equals some sort of like, I have to earn my place on the planet in some way, shape or form. Totally. I remember for me, when I was really little, I was like three years old. I learned how to read and write very young. I learned how to read and write at three. My mom was in nursing school at the time. My aunt Donna was an elementary school teacher. And my aunt had workbooks for teaching kids how to read and write. And while my mom was studying nursing, she would have me do homework. And for me, I got this validation of when I did well. It was like, good girl, good girl. You know, one of my first words, it was gee gear. And my mom still to this day, she's like, are you a gee gear? And so that idea of perfection and being good and which is definitely wired societally, I think for women particularly. But yeah. for me, it started so young and I did really well in school always because it was where I got this validation filling up my holes of needing to feel worthy. If I did well, if I did it perfect, if I did the letters perfectly, then I got validation and somehow I knew I was worth it. But like you said, it's this survival mechanism from when we're young. And what happens when we're young and these things get wired in, especially if a circumstance happens where we didn't do it right and we were overwhelmed with the rush of feeling, that's when these, these things really wire in hard. And it causes that part of us that needs to be perfect, maybe in that circumstance, to start only operating with the resources of that age. So for me, it was three years old. So what it, what are the resources of a three-year-old? It's exactly. like, do it right, do it perfect, or the whole world collapses and the, it's going to be the end of the world. I mean, you got to think about what does a three-year-old have for resources? So for me, anytime that little button, that little wound of doing it wrong got triggered, I'm instantly back to being three years old. And if I'm three years old, I am definitely not operating like this 47-year-old goddess that I am now. <laughs> totally. Totally. And I think that's really, it's important to, to understand the like, um, you know, there's a lot of very um, sort of, you know, inspiring sayings and, and like sort of, you know, inspirational memes that are like, you know, just do it. And like, don't, you know, doesn't have to be perfect, right? There's a lot of things like that give lip service to think to things so you don't have to be perfect, right? But those, the, the cognitive, like, you don't have to be perfect. If you're just working at the like, I know I don't need to be perfect, but like that physical wiring, that has that that survival reaction feeling to it it's like if you feel like well yeah i'm like trying to not be perfect but it feels it feels like a survival thing 
you're, that's how it's wired and that's why it feels the way that it does. So, you know, if you're kind of like coming at it from like a mindset perspective and you're not really making progress on it, that's a lot of the reasons behind that where you're just like trying to like, you know, think positively, but the rest of your system's like, we are trying to survive here. This is not, you know, like that's, so that's one of those things that I really, um, it's something that I tried myself and I really thought there was something wrong with me because I was like, I'm trying to like wrestle these thoughts down and I'm trying to think more positively. And I'm just trying to, you know, just, it's like, it's like marching down the street being like, these buildings around me are not on fire. Meanwhile, you can like feel the heat on your face, you know, and you're like, it's totally fine. And like, that's how your body, it's almost like gaslighting yourself to be like, things are fine. And your body being like, no, it's not. So this is such a, um, and that was one of the problems, you know, that's one of my biggest realizations was, was that approach is so, it's, it's so appealing. And I think it's so like, Oh, right. All I have to do is just change my mind. So simple, no big deal. But it, for me, it was like a big old nope. And it actually made me feel worse when it was not, I couldn't somehow figure out how to do this any differently. So there's gotta be something extra wrong with me, which just, let's like keep that cycle going. Right. It's like, oh, something wrong with me. I'm not perfect. Okay. So here's a, here's a piece when you were speaking that really jumped out to me and you know, you guys that have been watching my videos for a while, you guys know that I deal directly with the subconscious mind, the unconscious mind. And I, we dip in and we rewire that stuff. We reprogram that stuff. But here's one thing. When we're talking about changing our mindset, even if you're not going to work with somebody like me who dips in like that, one thing, this is so important, you guys. Your subconscious mind, which really runs all your survival programs, it does not understand the word not, don't. It does not understand the word negative. So yeah, totally. When you, when you say, when you're listening to all this stuff, oh, it's okay. You don't have to be perfect. What your subconscious mind hears and what's wiring again, reinforcing, it hears perfect, perfect. I have to be perfect. I tell you not to think about a pink elephant. You didn't consciously do it, but a pink elephant flashed through your mind. And yep. so you guys want to be really careful when you're trying to shift that mindset to think about, okay, what is it that I want instead of not being perfect? Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's one of those things that's so interesting is that is that that's the big question because a lot of people, right, myself included, the people that I work with, my clients, is it's like, okay, I know all of the standards for so-called being perfect. Now I have to like, well, if I'm not that, then what am I looking for, right? There's kind of this, like, it's like this void, this, this big exploration that's never really been explored. Like, well, what now, what, like, what do I, there's sometimes there's this whole, like this kind of blank in the conversation when I start to talk to people and they're like, I don't really know what I like. I don't really know what I need. I don't, because they're so, when we're so used to just orienting to a thing that we just know, it's like a quick answer. We know how to get there. We know what we were supposed to do to get there. 
But okay, well, if I'm not orienting to perfectionism, what am I orienting to? And what's even over there? Like, I don't even... I don't even know, right? Because we're so oriented over looking here and figuring out what the standards are. Well, if those aren't the standards I'm orienting to, then what am I looking at? So that's like a really big shift that kind of, it's like, yeah, there's some imagination, there's some creativity, there's some discovery that needs to happen in the process. Totally. Well, even today, so we were getting on and I was a little behind with some of the things that I normally try and prep for. We had some sound glitches. I had and, no video at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking to myself, if this goes totally haywire, I mean, it's the most perfect episode for everything to go totally haywire. Yeah. And this is one of the things about COVID that I kind of love is everybody's been shoved into trying to do things online and it has been messy. And we get to, and, and all those inner perfectionists are just like screaming, right? But you know, there is this thing that I'm really noticing and people are getting much more comfortable with people making mistakes, which the beautiful thing is, is oh. every, yeah, right. Every time we see somebody doing something, whether it's succeeding, whether it's falling apart, whether it's sharing a trauma, it gives us permission to feel like it's okay. So I was, there was a part of me that was kind of hoping things would just be totally haywire this whole time. So we could show people as, you know, two people that help people through their perfectionist thing to become more at ease within themselves. So that survival stuff isn't going crazy. Um, that it's okay for it to get messy. Totally. Totally. Yeah, Shane's got a good question here in the chat yeah. for you. Let me, I think I can actually pull that up. Yeah. Um, so learning to read Ed right at three, did I ever feel growing up that I needed to dumb down note to just make friends? I actually didn't. For me, validation happened at school. I got those your perfect accolades. Um, that fed me. I didn't have a lot of, I didn't get much of it from home. So that was the place I got my self-worth was from school. And um, when I was really little, I lived in Portland, Oregon up until age 10. And I was very popular then. <laughs> um, and then I moved to, Cal or to California and I was the new girl and I was not popular. <laughs> I I could tell you stories about the beliefs and all the crazy stuff that that did to the wiring in my head, but for another time. And um, so as my new friends were all kind of, they were smart, but they were in all the average classes. They wanted to skip me a grade. And actually my mom left the decision up to me but because I had so much traumatic things like trying to make new friends that I, the idea of skipping a grade, I overheard her talk about um, 
you know, I, I don't know if it would socially stunt her because my mom didn't, my mom went to like six different high schools and she oh. really didn't have that thing. And I overheard that. And so my mind was like, no, screw up my social thing. I finally have friends. No, no, no. Um, but in high school too, I had not, like all my friends were not in my classes, which probably helped me get good grades. <laughs> the only B I ever got in high school was in my government econ class. And I had lots of friends in that class. So I was distracted. But my other classes, I was focused because, you know, they weren't my good friends. So I don't know if that answered the question, but <laughs> shared some stories. Um, yeah. I think it is a, um, I think that that question does point to something that I do see happen. And I've sent, I've seen it happen to myself and I do see it happen with clients too, is like, um, a very like high attunement to like reading the room and sort of like not being too right. Perhaps I think there's something around that question around like not being too, like not being too threatening, not coming off as threatening or not, you know, being too whatever assertive, right. I'm just assertive, whatever the words are not being too much, like some version of that. I think that, um, that's certainly like a relatable thing that happens. I've, I've seen happen with myself and I think that other people can relate to is just that feeling of like, um, if you do feel like you're not really sure you're going to fit in or belong and you're looking for that belonging is like, how do I adjust myself to, to kind of fly under the radar and be part of this, you know, be part of the group essentially. Right. Um, it's interesting too, as we think about that, the, I mean, a lot of us that had these little things growing up that put you into a little bit of survival mode, we do become shapeshifters. And the ones of us that become people pleasers and perfectionists really become the best shapeshifters. But as I say, one of the really cool things, you know, we talk about this stuff and these survival mechanisms as they're all super terrible. But like you said earlier, they do give us these great skills, you know, detailed oriented. And if you're a shapeshifter, you can read the room, you can see, anticipate what people need ahead of time. And these superpowers, you guys get to keep when totally. you rewire the thing. You already have the skills to do all of those things. But when you can create that ease in your own like body, in your own way of moving about, it changes the whole dynamic. You get the superpower and you don't get all the anxiety that goes with it, which is so cool. That is so, yeah, that is so, that is so, so true. That is so, so true. And there, and I feel like for me too, I, the anxiety is like the number one thing on that list of, of what perfectionism constantly perpetuates. It's this constant feeling of unease, this constant feeling of anxiety. And that sort of, um, it's like an energy constantly running in the background, which is completely exhausting. Totally. It's yeah. I was speaking with somebody that I hope to have on one of these shows a little later and we were talking about in his process you everything gets so quiet 
that you need way less food. You need way less fuel because all that time that you're spending thinking, prepping, um, preparing, um, whatever it is, it takes up a lot of energy. And so in his process, you go through and everything just gets quiet and you don't need as much food, which is such a cool thing. I think about how, like right now, how I feel a little spazzy. You guys probably are like, because she's a little jumpy today. Um, but this is how I felt all of the time in my own skin, except I would keep my body still. I wouldn't let you guys know it because letting yeah. people know what was going on inside would bad, bad, bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's another thing too, right? Is this, um, this essentially like inability to tell the truth. There's like this inability to tell the truth. It's this inability to tell the truth to yourself about how you're feeling. I know that for myself, like I wasn't able to tell the truth about how I was feeling. I didn't even have access to really what the truth was, right? Like just getting, starting to have access to what was true for me, even what was true for me in the moment, how I was feeling. And then actually being able to communicate that to other people, because when you're trying to be perfect, then there's this constant, I've got this. I'm totally fine. I'm totally, there's like, that's the, that's the, the default is I'm fine. Even if that is complete BS, right? That can be complete BS. And probably you're not fooling everybody that you think you're fooling anyway, but you might, but you might be right. And there's this constant, like, I don't need anything. I'm totally right. I always really, um, one of the things I prided about myself was that nothing bothered me. I'm so chill. Nothing bothers me. Meanwhile, right. It's like, that wasn't true. That wasn't true for me, but I kept telling myself that was the way I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be unbothered by these things. I was supposed to be chill. I wasn't supposed to let those sort of things get to me. And it's just a constant gaslighting of reality on a regular basis. And it takes time. And that's, you know, people sometimes will ask, well, like, you know, how long does it take to, because a lot of the, I, I came to the work with perfectionism through my work with people with burnout and, you know, they want to be like, well, how, how long is it going to take to me to recover? And it's like, well, how long you been in this place? You know, like how long have you been in here? How long has this, these things been going on? Because, you know, often these sort of, the first steps are a lot faster than you think you're they're going to take, but it is like a process. Like it's literally like from your cells changing, right? There's the influence of your DNA. There's all of these things that happen. And so like just having the patience that it's, it's a holistic process. You're going to, you're going to work through it. You're going to get through it. And also just all that's involved, you know, and I don't mean to make it like sound like a huge, heavy, you know, big, huge process, you know, especially, like talking about you, like working through the unconscious, right? That is, man, you get in there. Instant. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. So, um, but it, you know, just kind of understanding what these things might look like for you, right? Everybody's, everybody's version is a little bit different. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. So we talk about when I go in and we shift, you know, some of these unconscious beliefs and we heal some of these childhood triggers that created they, we, you know, we get to the source point and you get to the source point, it's you know, like pulling the root out of a weed, but we still need to build the new habits Yes, and the body, the, the mind shifts very quickly 
but the body still has to catch up. And there yeah. is some, this is part of the reason why I prefer to work with people for over a course of six months. The first stage we do all that clearing, but then we've got to build the new habits. So we want to create new habits and that takes time. We need the nervous system to integrate and make sure. And that's a big thing is I remember going to acupuncture and I've done acupuncture since I was 18. So over half of my life now, <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing. And people are like, oh, I've always wanted to try acupuncture. I'm going to go to one session for my, whatever it is, my IBS. I don't know. Um, and they're like, well, it didn't work. I'm like, well, how long have you had the problem? Right. And they're like, I don't know, 10 years. And it's like any kind of holistic thing. It takes a time. The longer you've had the problem, it takes a little bit. It takes time to unwind it. There are total, you know, with the unconscious mind and shifting that there are total instant shifts, but the full body integration takes a little bit of time. A hundred percent. And, um, and I think that that's the other, it's like one of those other perfectionism lies that there's, if you do it right, you're going to get it right on the first try and boom, good to go, go on with your happy life. Like, nope, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. I, I always love the thing where people feel like they have to get it right on their first try. Um, did you learn how to ride a bicycle on your very first try? Did you? Because, you know, I mean, that would be pretty amazing. And even once you for, were able to do it without the training wheels, you know, some of us might remember that first thrill when you first like went away is all by yourself with no training wheels and you started and it was wobbly and shaky, right? Yep. It was messy. You could do it, but it was messy. And that to me is such a way to remember how it is when you try to do something new mm -hmm. is it's wobbly and shaky. And the more you rode your bike, the better you got. Maybe after a while you were riding no hands. Maybe you could even turn a corner with no hands. I can do that now. It makes me excited. <laughs> um, but that took practice and yep. it didn't happen overnight. And as the perfectionist, we think that it's supposed to happen now. We are supposed to know how to do it. I want to knit a scarf. I should be able to get it perfect on my first try. I'm going to start a business. I should know how to do all of it, all the marketing, all of this, all of that. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I like to use the analogy too, because uh, the analogy of doing a push-up, because one of the things I talk about is like small and doable actions, right? So for some people, if they try to do one push-up, like they may be able to do one push-up. Maybe they can't do two push-ups. But for some of for some of us with like little chicken wings, even doing one push-up is like not even approachable. Like, right? Maybe I can't even do one push-up. And if I try to do one push-up, I can't even get like it's not even in my wheelhouse. Okay, so maybe where do I start then? I have to start somewhere, right? And it's sort of like where do I want to get to? How do I get myself to it? Right. Starting to think about, well, maybe, you know, if I can't do a push up, it's not that I'm bad at push ups and I can never do a push up. It means I got to start somewhere else. So maybe that starts by doing a push up against the wall. 
And then I start to build that muscle. And then maybe I can get on like a countertop and do some push-ups that way. Maybe there are some other exercises to help me build up those muscles to build me up to a push-up. Then maybe I can do a push-up on my knees. And eventually I can do a push-up, but it's not gonna be if you know if I don't have the actual physical capacity to do that move yet. And I can't force my body to do that move, right? Maybe it's like a miracle that I even get one in, but like, it's not like my body knows how to do it. I do it once. So I'm never gonna do it again, just to prove myself that I can, I, you know, it's like the, that repeatable. Can you do it on a regular basis? That's how you sort of have that skill, but you're gonna have to work your way there. <laughs> you know, sometimes in these habits, you have to work your way there. All right, we have another comment. Hmm, this is such a good one. Okay. I don't expect perfectionism from myself, but I do in my writing and art because I feel there's a high expectations for it. Absolutely. I, I'm writing a book <laughs> and let me tell you how many times I go through and edit and edit. And I've finally gotten to the point where I just stop. I do two, three, two passes and I put it away. And as a photographer, former photographer, I guess I'm still a photographer. <laughs> it doesn't really just go away. <laughs> um, but I remember when I would work, when I started getting into like crazy Photoshoppy weird stuff, I started thinking about painters mm. and man, where does it end? Where is that place? And with writing and art, we present it to the world. It's a tangible thing. And um, so it's a huge, scary thing to put it out there. Totally. And I think I'm interested to see too, if um, in this question, you know, high expectations for it, meaning that there's this anticipation of high expectations for the people receiving it, or like your own high expectations for the creation of it. Because I feel like there. Right. There's that whole quote. I think it's an Ira Glass quote talking about creation or talking about art. I'm totally going to mess it up, so I'm not going to try to approach it. But um, it's like when you have good taste, right, when you're a creator and you have that like vision in your head in order to translate that in the way that you feel like is the way to express it best can be so difficult. It's like you can have the perfect vision in your head and be like, this is what this is. But in order to get it out into like a physical realm where it can be consumed visually or 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 audioly or whatever by the general public, there there's like this translation process that has to happen. And sometimes that's where we can get really frustrated, where it's like the translation is not the like purest essence of that original vision, you know. And I think that is such a difficult and uh definitely one of those roads that has to be navigated by anybody who's in creation, who's making art, who's, who's writing any of that sort of stuff is like trying to figure out from the vision to the final product. Like, can I, can, how do I get there? How close can I get it? Like, are people going to receive it the way that I'm, I'm like visioning it. Right. It's a very, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's such a thing. Well, and so this kind of makes me think about another side of perfectionism too, which is that part of perfectionist, you know, we've been talking mostly about people that are kind of the go, 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 the do, do, do 
doing side of perfectionism, but that other side of it where you're like, I can't even make it perfect. So why should I even try? And yes. thinking about this in art, I have this project that is like a metaphorical representation of a whole like traumatic experience and thing. And I have all the pieces to put together and I haven't done it still yeah. because in my mind, I want it to be very photorealistic. I want it to look like the image was really like taken. And I mean, to be honest, part of it was for a while, I couldn't look at that trauma. I was still healing from that trauma. And now I have lots of other things to do, <laughs> but there definitely was a piece of I'm not good enough at Photoshop to make this perfect. Right. So there is that a lot of people that suffer from lack of motivation and procrastination. Yeah. They have an inner perfectionist that does not allow them to even put a foot forward to even start because they believe that they can't make it perfect and they can't let it translate the way that it's in their head or they think that somebody else is better than them and they've done it better. So why try? That's a big one. Why try? Why bother? Yeah. It's all been said. It's all been done. It's all been written about. Somebody's already done it. Like why even try? Absolutely. Yeah. Of like that avoidance, which is again, a bit of that's wired into that survival, right? Is that a, that avoidance through that flight? Get me out of here. Like not even going to go near that thing. Um, that's why I, I think it's so important when after after sort of building up the, you know, I, I talk about it in sort of a process of first you're sort of noticing it and then you're starting to discern what is yours, what's not yours, what you address, what you don't address. And then we're going to talk about action and the action has to be is experimental, right? See how it goes. It has to be experimental. It has to be small and doable, especially if your system is used to this like sort of either foot on the gas pedal a million miles an hour or like absolutely nothing, right? That is also uh, something your body is used to, that sort of adrenaline rush or that like shutdown. And then integration, just like you were saying, right? You got to, after you've kind of gone through the thing, like let it integrate. Things will shift. Things will change after you take action, even tiny, teeny, tiny actions. And then more becomes possible on the other side. So yeah, it's a really, really good point. Good question. It's cool. One of the things that is so cool about the human brain is that we can have the same issues and they translate in different actions. So because we all have had different experiences, we experience the world a little bit differently. So I have perfectionist clients that are they can't get motivated. They're lethargic. They're lazy. They can't do anything. I have perfectionist clients that are overachievers, uh, yeah. do, do, do. And it's so funny how in both, both directions, I'm always taking small steps. So with my, like, my people that have trouble getting moving, getting forward, it's about taking a small step forward. And what we're doing is we're actually trying to ramp up the nervous system Yep. to be able to handle stimulus. And 
On the other side, the doers were trying to ramp down the nervous system so they can actually sit still and be calm. And so, you know, my prescription for one might be sit in a room, do nothing for a whole day. That's a little extreme. I wouldn't start there. (laughs) 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 But I tell you, if you did it, you would definitely face some. If you're going to go that route, you probably just want to do it for a whole week. I was just going to dive into the deep end of that one. (laughs) Right. Right. But no, we move move a little slower. But (laughs) on the other hand, you know, the other thing, one of the things that the lack of motivator person has is they get a great idea and they really want to step into and try and do it. And they get a little bit in, they run into one hiccup and it's like, oh no, I can't do it perfect. Let's just scrap the whole thing. And because you start too big and the average people out there are just, doing stuff at a normal rate. And when we try to compare ourselves to other people, that really screws with the perfection thing. It's like, there's no such thing as perfect, guys, period. Period. It's a made up construct. It's imaginary. Who told you what perfect means? And that's the thing. Was it, did you decide at three years old what perfect means and are you still operating with that same idea of perfection yeah and i you know i really tie back a lot of the stuff that's that's sort of constantly reinforced too right there are systems of oppression who like to have particular standards be what people are striving for right and so things get reinforced over and over and over again depending on what information you're consuming depending on you know, what you are, what you're consuming through media, what you're consuming through social media, what you're consuming through, you know, advertising, what you're consuming through just that kind of moving through the world, right? There is a lot of stuff that's kind of consciously and unconsciously we're absorbing that. And we're often, right, just like you were talking about the the pink elephant. I don't know if that actually this translates, but but it's like, we look for the things we're looking for, right? We're seeing the things that we're used to seeing. So we're constantly like taking in the information that reinforces those programs we already have, right? That reinforces the things that show us, oh, well, I gotta be perfect or else this is gonna happen or or, I gotta be perfect or else this is the consequences, right? It's very consequence driven. The perfectionism is like not having, right? Not having consequences, not creating a conflict, not, right? It's very much like not getting, like not getting in trouble. Like that's the kind of energy often that comes with that. So um, just starting to be aware of that. And, and really, I think it's important to understand, just like you were saying, it's like, these are not things we were, we're choosing because we're like, yay, you know, these are things that just become sort of part of, of who we are. And, and it's it, like, you got to get on board with yourself. Like, you got to get on board with the fact that like, your body is trying to do the best it can. It's trying to protect you. It's trying to do good things. Even if the translation, how it shows up is like not really serving you in this current day day and age and, and for the age that you are, right? Like your, your body, your nervous system, it's like on your side. It's trying to be on your side in the best way it can. So it's like, how do you get on board with, 
with how you are and who you are in this moment. And just like we were talking about these small and doable steps, you know, starting to, to create that getting on board with this discomfort, because all of these things are a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit uncomfortable to do something slightly different. That's your nervous system going, this is new, not really sure about this. How is everything cool? Am I going to die? Right? There's always this like, am I going to die thing that runs in the background. So, um, so just, you know, understanding that and, and realizing that, and I found too, for myself, and again, for clients, like there's this sort of, well, if I let off, like if I let off on myself, I'm just going to lay on the couch and never do anything ever again. Right. There's this kind of story that like, if I don't keep on myself, right. If I don't really like kind of really like drive myself hard, then, then I'm just going to stop being a productive member of society and like lay on my couch, stare at the ceiling and never do anything again. There's like this kind of feeling. that's like, we feel like we can't like let up on ourselves, but it is very interesting when people start to cultivate a different perspective towards themselves, a little bit of compassion, a little bit of gentleness, a little bit of friendliness, that actually it's amazing what can actually be accomplished with that sort of relationship with yourself. Yeah. Well, it's so as we think about that part of us that is trying to you let me start over the parts of us that are trying to make us be perfect, they really are, they have a very positive thing. And we naturally move towards feeling pleasure instead of feeling pain. Mm -hmm. And so often these, these things that start to wire in our brain, they happen because an event is overly emotional. And we're too young, probably, to process the emotions through. So they get stuck and it creates what we call a trigger. And anytime something looks slightly like that, so maybe you yelled, got yelled at for screwing up, you know, something so simple that's not a big deal. You know, maybe your parent was stressed. Maybe they're the most awesome parent in the world, but maybe they were stressed out in a moment and you dropped something and it broke and they turned around and screamed at you and you got super overwhelmed. And that alone could create this behavior that we're talking about. Something so little. It's not that somebody has to do something terrible to you. And so now anytime that maybe you're carrying something fragile, your whole body goes into this fear survival mode. And with your fear survival mode, your body is going to be like this. So you're now carrying whatever it is. Are you likely to drop it? Probably. You're in so much like all these stories are running through your head. Oh my God, don't drop it. Don't drop it. Don't drop it. Because your survival brain is relying on the emotions from the past to decide what's going to happen. And so you're shaking, you're so scared, you drop it again. And it says, see? Yeah. See? Yes. You're, I'm not going to swear, you're terrible. <laughs> um, and then, you know, our brain is always looking for the things to reinforce. Yes that thing because it doesn't want us to relive that pain of having that original thing where the person yelled at us and we got overwhelmed and those emotions are still stuck in your body you guys 
they're still stuck. They're actually there in your short-term memory. This is why it's a trigger because it can be triggered. When you heal that stuff by either baby steps, little by little, letting your nervous, showing your nervous system that you're not going to die little by little, or you do some rewiring, however you do it, it doesn't matter how you do it. But once you heal that, that trigger moves into your long-term memory and then it just becomes a story that happened. Oh yeah, that one time. Yep. And a lot of this, a lot of this stuff happens. It's so long ago we don't even remember it, but our unconscious mind knows it. And it's that trigger still there in the short-term memory. I don't know why I always put it in the back of our head. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like it's like it's like it's like ready for your brain to like push a button or something, right? It's just like right there, just ready for that that switch to be hit. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, I'm always like, all my triggers live here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, and it, and it helps. I think it's really helpful. I think all of the descriptions of like how the body works, how the mind works, just kind of knowing some of those things. I know for myself, when I started learning about the nervous system, I was like, hold up. <laughs> I was like, hold up. How does this work? And it just, it just makes so much more sense why things that, you know, certain behaviors or certain reactions in the moment, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. But when you put it in the context of your history, when you put it in the context of even, you know, your ancestors' histories, right? There's a lot of things that sometimes get carried into us in our current day that didn't actually start here. They started before us. And these are things that we can have influence over also. But just starting to understand some of the bigger stuff, I think is very helpful to kind of allow us to step back and be like, oh, I, okay, this is now I understand why some of these things are happening. And understanding isn't the thing that changes it, obviously. Like if it was just understanding, then man, things would be going really fast. There is that embodiment, there's right all the rewiring we talked about. But hopefully just hearing some of these things helps people to have a little bit of a different perspective of like, oh, okay, now I'm sort of seeing why, why these things happen. It's not that there's something wrong with you. It's not, it's actually things are working pretty well. That's, that's probably why these things are happening. And if that's not what you want, okay, let's, let's do something different. Yeah. I think one of the big useful tools for any situation if you replay and go back through a situation that happened in a way that you didn't like, if you imagine yourself as a fly on the ceiling, completely unattached to the situation, watching the situation, you can gain a lot of perspective. And so when you start to look at stuff like that, it allows you, even if it's after the fact, it allows you to slow the event down. And when you can slow it down, you can kind of piece it apart. You can start to see, oh, look, my body got tense right before I lost it or whatever it might be. And that's a, a useful tool to be able to look at it from an outside perspective and create understanding, but creating that practice of slowing things down in the moment. You can do it in the moment, just in a normal situation, just to start to get your nervous system 
used to that idea of slowing something down. Even if you're having a conversation, like I can dip out right now and go to the ceiling and watch what we're doing from a different perspective. Yeah. My voice actually gets higher because I'm not in my body as much, but it's, it's a tool to just start to slow stuff down. And that in combination with the understanding is a really great first little step. Yeah, and I love, I think what's what's really great about the, the concept of practices and tools. And this is something that I feel like I, I don't hear talked about enough. So I think this is really like, listen up, this is important. Um, practices and tools are best used when you don't need them. So in moments that are calm, in moments that you are, there's nothing going on, maybe you're a little bored, maybe like just starting to try some of these things, right? You're talking about the slowing down, like slowing down in this moment where we just happen to be sitting and having a conversation, practicing the slowing down, practicing what it's like to just notice things, practicing discernment, practicing small and doable actions, right? All of these things are best practiced when there's, like low to no stakes involved because then you that's when you start to create some habits and it starts to be like one of those things then in a moment of like oh something happened it becomes more of a there's this thing right here on the shelf right next to me that i've like used a lot and it's and it's easy for me to easier for me to access than something where it's like the only time i use this thing or try to use this thing is when something has gone sideways, which is not realistic and it's not fair to try to have that ask for yourself in that moment often either. So like these tools, these practices that we've talked about today, try them out when there's nothing going on. And that's like, I don't think that I hear, because people will say, well, I need the tools because they think in their mind, right? I need the tools so in the moment I can do something differently. Sure, but in order to change that moment, you're probably gonna wanna start working those into your like daily vocabulary, essentially. Exactly. It goes kind of back to riding the bike. Mm -hmm. If you, that first time that you were able to do it, if you put the bike down for a year right. and then you picked it up again, you actually might not be able to do it because you haven't practiced it. So allowing yourself to just have it become something that's totally reachable, something that becomes part of your muscle memory. Um, one of the things that I always have people as they start to learn how to deal with their emotions is name the emotion. Yes. Oh, it's and, such a good one. And it's just, it's the, one of the very first steps that I have people do. And, you know, set your alarm three times a day comes up, you know, you might be having like, maybe it's ease. I don't know. Or maybe it's happiness. It's not always about when it's bad, but practicing to have it just become a tool that becomes part of muscle memory. It's like, you know, that really mundane job that you had that 
you could go in super hungover when you were maybe in your early 20s or in college or something and you could do it so well because it was part of your muscle memory you didn't even have to literally be present so you'd start to do these tools so much when it's not difficult and it becomes part of your muscle memory. It's like yeah. right there. And if you can glance it in the moment of when the emotions get up, it's instead of it being way up here, it's like right here. And that yeah. reach is so much easier than like trying to reach on that top shelf of the grocery store. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. That was one of the most helpful things for me when I first started doing some of this work was like, I literally did not have... It, I either felt good or I felt bad. That was it. I had no other words, right, for the emotions or for what I was feeling. I was either feeling good and I was feeling bad. And that is completely unhelpful for finding what I needed or expressing what I needed or knowing what I needed or knowing how I was feeling or like that they're so general and so not helpful, right? So that's such a huge one is just trying to, like I literally, when I first started working into this, I would pull up a feelings wheel with all of these different feelings on it. And I have one in my journal. I actually probably still have one in my journal. I had one in my journal, I had one in my fridge. I had one like by my computer. So I was just like constantly sort of looking at these words and just taking them in and just having some, just starting to like get them into my, into my vocab, like my literal vocabulary. Right, yeah. That's huge. Well, we're getting close to the end of the hour. I want oh, yeah. to, I know it goes by so fast. The conversation yeah. ones go by so quick. Um, why don't you tell everybody about what it is that you have to offer and yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we talked about today was having some tools and having some small and doable practices. So I have a series of basically guided meditations that help to start getting used to a noticing practice. So noticing your external environment and making that very explicit, noticing your physical self and really getting used to and comfortable with that. And then sort of noticing right the sensational self, your interoception, which has all of that information about the feelings that we talked about and, and starting to get some familiarity around that, which is one of the best places to start to start to do some of this work. So um, if you go to my website, which is fortitudeandflow.com slash podcast interview, there'll be a little list that you can sign up for and I'll send you those um, those meditations and with some descriptions on how how to use it in context, how to use it in the world and how that actually helps you start to address or start to use towards reforming perfectionism step by step. Awesome. And for me, you guys know, let's see, I do the six month programs, which seems a little daunting for some people, but it really is a full transformation and it like filters into all aspects of your life. So if you consciously are, my perfectionism at work is driving me crazy, believe it or not, it filters into your relationships. It filters oh, into lots of other things. So even though we might specifically be working on one thing, it is going to transform the rest of your life as well. I'm also working on, I'm thinking about creating a middle package maybe because these COVID times are 
crazy and a lot of people are just in a state of panic and they want a little bit of relief. If you guys are curious or you really would like to maybe explore that, um, do a hashtag relief in the comments so I can see what kind of interest is out there for people. But the new thing that I've just started doing is something called an illumination session. And this is where we ask that inner wise part of yourself, that part of you that knows really what's getting in your way. What are the best practices for you to move forward? Because like I said earlier, everybody's a little bit different. And when we tap into your subconscious mind, it has all of the information about what is actually best for you. And so in these sessions, we do that. We tap into the subconscious mind and, you know, we have a little intake where we go over what you're curious about, what you are looking to shift and, um, yeah, what your other, I don't know, all kinds, whatever you want, basically, <laughs> we can find it out. And then I ask specific questions just to help pull out extra information. And those are just one-off sessions. So if you are interested in that, if you watch this interview, self-sabotaging sagas all the way to the end, and I'm doing a special discount of 20% for those. So you guys, if you put in the comments, let's see, what should we do? Um, hashtag inner knowing. I will reach out to you and give you the link for the 20% off scheduling thing. All right. Love that. That's awesome. Great offer. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I always feel like these things could go on for two, three hours. <laughs> I know. Amazing. And it's it's so great. To, it's just really great to know. It's great to have these conversations with um, people who have walked the same path and have done done the same different, you know, different work in different ways, but have are coming to the same, same conclusion, I guess, with them. And um, it's just, it's always helpful for me to hear people talk about their experiences. So I'm happy to have had the conversation with you and hopefully our conversation is helping some other people feel a little bit less, you know, like there's something wrong with them and starting to be like, oh, actually this is helping me make sense of my, my experience and my situation a little bit more. Totally. And the thing that the, one of the reasons why I really love doing this is because it just opens up sometimes, you know, maybe my work might not land or the way I present and, and explain things might not land for somebody else, but the way you do might totally land. And ultimately my goal is that people get the help that they need and the help that they want in the best way possible for them. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. Thanks right. so much for this. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for watching another episode of Self-Sabotaging Sagas. And I will see you guys next week. Oh, we're going to dip into stress next week. And I have another special guest who is awesome. So I look forward to seeing you then. Bye. Bye. -bye.